Amen. Well, I believe there is a word the Lord has given me for this house today. Um, if we can, you can turn with me to the book of Daniel, 11th chapter, verse 32. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your anointing, God. We thank you for your word. I decree, so God, that the spirit of God would increase in me. Father, speak through my vocal cords. Give me, Lord, the words that should be said for your people today. I trust you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel eleven thirty two. If you have it, say amen. Amen. That's what's up. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt by flatteries, but the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. For the people that know their God shall be and strong and do great exploits. I want to capitalize on three words from this scripture, and that is to know, be, and to do. Know, be, and do. There's a company in 1998 was doing very good, and then they started doing even better um, as they progressed in their business. This company was making a gross salary um, of about $877 million. And then they went from making $877 million to $9.3 billion. Look at your neighbor and say, just do it. They went from making from 800 million to 9.3. So the market was talking about what has captured this, this company to catch on fire to go from 800 million to $9.3 billion. Well, it was from one expiring man that went to Nike and said, just do it. Can you imagine that the thoughts that you're thinking in your head today, that there's ideas, and that's what I want to talk to you today, do it now. Because I believe that God has put dreams and he's put some ideas and put business and witty adventures in our hearts, but some, some reason we live our lives and never realizing that we can do what God has put inside of us today. Because we don't have the tenacity, we don't have the courage to go and do what God called us to do. Perhaps it's fear, perhaps it's procrastination, perhaps it's guilt or shame or whatever you've dealt with in your life, you don't want to go forth and do what God called you to do because of the barriers that's facing you today. But I want to declare to you that the Bible says in Daniel, for the people that know their God, and I don't just mean knowing him like you know your friends on Facebook and you follow them on Twitter because most of the people that follow me on Facebook and Twitter, I don't even know them and they don't know me. But I'm talking about that when you know that you know that you know that your God is great and your great God is powerful and it can do great explorers things. See, you cannot succeed until the things of God until you know that you know that God is real in your life. Having a firm foundation and a relationship with God, it will bring you a long, mighty, mighty, mighty long ways. There was a, um, there was a, a, a thing that I've been talking about on Facebook that the Lord has given 
given me about assumptions. Most people just assume that it's not going to be. If I would have assumed that I could not move from leaving a business, some family, and church, and all of that, and come to Pearland, and out of nothing, I left a job, I left a business, and God said to go, and all of the things was coming in my mind and said, what if you fail? What if this don't happen? What if you don't get the money of your lunch budget of $100,000? Are you crazy? You're leaving everything, and you're going to nothing, but yet you believe in God for $100,000? It don't make sense to the mind of a human being, but when God said do it, I have to obey him because when you step out into the water, God will cause provision to back you up. So I said to this little quote here, assumption is the arch enemy of advancement. It is the weakness of ignorance masked by the illusion of a certain assumption. It is not what you don't know that's killing you. It's what you pretend to know and you're not willing to find out. It's not what you believe that the initial deposit that God is putting you is the limit. It's not the limit. The sky, the heavens is the limit that God wants to bring you to and, and bring you to a great fulfillment and moving into that. I'm just telling you that testimonies after testimonies. And just to give you a little testimony that I was believing God in our nonprofit organization because not only pastoring, I was doing at-risk youth. And I had a suite with like three suites in, our, in a shopping center, paying um, uh, rent and just believing God for great and mighty things, doing proposal websites and all of those things and just was really believing God for a, a great impact in uh, um, Decatur, Georgia, where I was believing. Well, God interrupted my life, and, and I was talking with investors and things of that nature, and they was having me to jump through loops and fix this and fix the website, the successes and the outcomes, and do the proposal and do all of these things, and I was just pulling my brain out because I believe in working and believing and, and hard for a vision to come to pass. And then the Lord said that this is not the place that you're supposed to be. How many know that it takes a lot of strength to humble yourself and to realize that the direction that you're going in is not the, way, the will of God for your life? And so I had to back up, seek God, and see what he wanted me to do. And one investor, you know, he was saying, oh, we're going to give $10,000, but you need to do this. So my board was working really hard and doing this and that. And I was be just believing God, oh, yes, he's going to be an investor and all of these things. Well, it wasn't even one month when I moved to Pearland and got the first $10,000 in the chin to mail. And so I've been in Pearland two and a half months and have been successfully raising $25,000. And I couldn't even raise that in the three years that I was in Atlanta. But you can see how when you step into the perfect will of God, and you know that your God has told you to do something, you can know that your God is going to do great exploits because you have been positioned in the place where he has for you in the direction that you're going to do the will of God. There was an illustration I told our team the week ago that um, Plato, uh, I want to tell you this little story. Plato is a famous Greek philosopher who wrote the story of the allegory of the cave wanted to bring his point across about the nature of reality. Well, listen at this. Plato is one of the most influential thinkers outside of Jesus Christ. 
Plato had the philosophy that he believed in the idea of forms, that the world was made of reflections of most more perfect and idea form. In other words, Plato was saying that everything that exists already exists in the world in another realm or form. But his most uh, famous parable short and formative story to illustrate forms in the cave through main work called the Republic, which was wrote about 380 B.C. Plato says to really understand the role of enlightenment, you really have to picture prisoners in a cave and to get chained together with their necks in their hand and their feet that are uh, chained together, looking and staring at a wall. Behind the prisoners of the wall in this cave is fire. And in between the prisoners and the fire is a raised walkway in which people can walk. These people are puppeteers that's carrying different objects and images um, that they're carrying. Behind the fire is an opening underneath which calls the reflection that the puppeteers are walking by that are reflecting on the wall. So these, puppet, so these people that have been chained from childhood, they're actually looking and staring at the wall. So the images that they're seeing are actually puppeteers that's behind them that are walking, that's giving a shadow and a reflection on the wall. So really, they was looking at this wall. So the, 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 the Plato said, let's do a, a twist of the plot. He said, what if one of the men would actually break free from being the prisoner that would actually turn around? and look at the, at the puppeteers, the light would probably hurt his eyes because since childhood he had been prisoners and locked into this cage looking and staring at the wall and he would really see that the horse that the, that the puppeteers are carrying really is not a real horse, it's just a shadow and an echo. And it really, if the, if the prisoner would break free and go outside the cage, he would really see that the sun is really a true sun. That he really would see true animals and true fish and all of these things. And so when I thought about this Plato story about the allegory of the cage, I thought about how we as this generation of people, that we are still in the cage. That Could it be that we're staring at shadows and echoes and it's not the true thing. If we're staring at echoes and we're staring at shadows and it's a copy that is not the true dream. Okay, let me break it down since some of you are looking at me like that. We're staring at the wrong scream. We're staring at tweets and we're staring at Facebook. We're staring at posters. We're staring at all kind of things and what we're staring at is really not the screen. Because behind the scream is reality that sets in that God wants you to know that you're falling something that's really not your, that's to be true. You think their marriage is together, it's just a shadow and an echo. The devil told you you're not going to make it, it's just a shadow and an echo. The doctor told you you got a bad report, but it's just a shadow and an echo. But behind the cave, there is healing called the balm of Gilead that wants to bring you to a grateful 
field. I don't want you to be a shadow and an echo person and just to be looking like you well, smelling like you well, but behind the cologne and behind the clothes, there is shadows and there's echoes. We have done this as a generation of people that we want to look like we got it going on. We want to act like we got it going on. But but Joshua told, Moses told Joshua, he said, be strong in the Lord and be a good courage. So that brings me to my next point. Not only that you have to know who your God is, but you have to be who your God is. Be who God called us to be. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, it says, for, the, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of him. We may become the righteousness in him. That's why we can become who God called us to be because we are not righteous of our own. The Bible says that we are born into sin, shaping in iniquity, no good about us. There's something wrong with everybody. I was telling the church the last two weeks ago, they started laughing. We started saying, me too ministry. You know, we just have put our pastors on a pedestal and act like they are, they are not human and they don't have any problems or they don't have any issues. But I come to tell you that I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not the best, but I'm striving to be the best through him who covers me with his righteousness and when I mess up, when I fall down, when I do what I shouldn't do, he picks me up because I am me too. I believe that the people want to see the true people in their vulnerable stage and that you know that you have issues too. You have, you eat all the family bag of Cheetos, me too. Your kids may want to cuss, you want to cuss them out sometimes, me too. Somebody cut me off, I want to think of a four-letter word, me too. You, pastor, anointed, powerful, me too. We have issues, we have things that we're working to. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we have been made righteousness through him by faith. In other words, we've been justified through the finished work of the cross. And because of the finished work, I am clothed with his righteousness. Because so when the devil come at me, he don't see me. He see the righteousness of God. And it justifies you in every aspect of your life. So what do you mean to tell me, pastor? You have a right to be healed. Oh, really? You have a right to be saved. You have a right to get what God called you to do. Oh, really? Why you have a right? I'm glad you asked. I have a right to be healed because I am the righteousness of God. I have a right to be saved because I am the righteousness of God. You have to know that you are the righteousness of God, not through your works, but through the finished works on the cross that justified you and became an advocate that you have leaped in with the Father, and now therefore you have an advocate to become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. Let's go to Luke 3, 21. We're talking about being. When the Bible says in 21, it says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed in the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. You are my beloved son and who I am well pleased. 
You know he have a bad daddy when, he, when the daddy even just it, it began to affirm the baptism. So John the Baptist was baptizing uh, all these candidates, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. He baptized Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the heavens open up because Jesus is in the place of being. He could have been anywhere else, any other time, but because he was in the place of being who God called him to be, the Bible says the heavens open up. Let me just take a little pause break here. That when you get in the place of being, the heavens are open up over your life. That's how you know that you're under the perfect will of God. David said, Psalms 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God. When you get in the place of being, the Bible says that the heavens will open up and this is a place where the father the god heads bump heads with the head in other words when you're looking at the son you're looking at the father because we are one I am that I am. I am that I am. So you're looking at the Father. This is so many people are, are using the Lord's name in vain as we talk about the I am. You know, and they start saying that I am broke. I am sick. I am lonely. I am hurting. I am this and that. There's so much of you. How could you be sick when you serve a healing God? We use the Lord's name in vain. By just saying these things, just releasing it. The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. And you're saying, I am sick. I am, I am disgusted. I am broke. I am the righteousness of God. God said we are in one, so if he is in you, then you can never be sick. So you mean to tell me, Pastor, I can be sick but still healed? Absolutely. You mean to tell me I could be broke but still rich? Absolutely. You mean to tell me I could be down but I still got my health and street? Absolutely. Because the Bible says that you sa he said that I am with you and you are with me. And so he's validating his son in the place of being who he's called to be. Let's go to Luke 4 and 22. 4, 4 and 2. I'll connect those two. Being tempted, by the, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to bread. And Jesus said to him, by saying it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. How dare the devil tries to say, if thou be the son of God. Did you just not see in chapter 3 that God just validated who Jesus was? Come on, somebody. He said, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. He's already validated who Jesus was. So how dare the devil comes in chapter 4 and says that if thou be the son of God. So therefore, he's trying to get him to begin to get an identity basis. It's an identity crisis that he's trying to challenge him and see if he really is who he said that he is. How many sitting here today that you are really going through a struggle of an identity crisis that the devil's trying to play with your mind or something's trying to make you feel, your flesh feel like you're not who God called you to be? You are everything God has called you to be because you are the righteousness of God and he has put you into a place of being and I don't care what comes your way you can stand and know who you are in Christ and so that's what here we talk 
He said, for it is written, that's what you need to tell the devil, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. You can go ahead and tip me, Jesus said, with the bread. I'm not going to do that. I'm bigger than that. I'm stronger than that. It don't matter what. I've learned a long time ago that busy people are like turtles. They do turtle talk. I don't have time for turtle talk. I'm a giraffe. Giraffes eat at the top of the tree, not at the bottom of the tree. So some things I don't have to pay attention to or listen to because it's nothing but a shadow and an echo. Let's go, to, go down to verse 9, Luke 4 and 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hips. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hand they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Not only the devil now try to come to them with an identity base, now he's coming with a performance base. And trying to say that our works, our salvation is based on works and performance. Because it's saying, if you be the son of God, you know, begin to uh, put him up on the pinnacle and begin to say, cast ourself down from him. And now he's trying to test him in another way to try to get him out of the place of being. See, when he can't get you in one direction or your mind can't get you in one direction of a source of distraction, he'll cause and try to get you in another distraction because he wants to get you out of the place of being who God called you to be and to do what God has called you to be. And so, therefore, three things that are coming out of here, identity-based, performance-based, and possession base. Those are the three things that the enemy is trying to get that get get this uh, Jesus from being who God called him to be. He said, but God said, so the knowing comes to the being, and from the being, it comes to the knowing. Daniel said, for the people that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. So now you get to the place that you have to do what God called you to do. The Bible says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror, but you are more than a conqueror. Through Christ who strengthens you and give you the ability to be who God called you to be. You understand that you are blessed already because of the finished work on the cross. I hear people all the time say, God's getting ready to do it. God's getting ready to do it. I'm believing God to do it. The devil is a liar. You are not believing God to do something that he's already done. I don't have to pray for something that he's already said that is done because he's already done it on the cross. He's say as it is in heaven it shall be done on earth it's on the finished work and through the grace of God it enables me to be what God said that I've already am he told Moses he said set aside 70 elders that already know that they are going to be elders it's because of the finished work on the cross that he's already validated for my salvation 
So some of us are sitting here and we pray and believe God and say, oh, the doctors gave me this bad report. Oh, my marriage is headed to the divorce court. Oh, my children are just acting up and all of these things. And we fear and we panic and, oh, I lost my job. I don't know what to do. I need money and things of that nature. My business is failing and I need more money. We panic. We afraid of who we are. Stand in the place of knowing I am the righteousness of God. And because I am the righteousness of God, I can have what he said I can have. I don't spend my time praying on things that God has already said. If the doctor gives me a report that may not line up with the word of God, I take the report. But I don't profess the report because it's already done on the finished work. It was already done on the cross. It was already done in the resurrection. So now I have to believe God and receive what he's already said for my life. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evident things of things not seen. So I can't see it, but I know in my spirit. I know that I know that I know. Let me read that scripture again because some of you missed that. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now Jesus is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence things are not seen. So when my faith don't have enough faith to believe what I see, I go on Jesus' faith. So now when I look at Hebrews 11 and 1, I said, and Jesus is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So I put it back on Jesus because he is the author and the finisher of my fate. Jesus is Genesis to Revelation because he's in between. He is my umpire. He is my soldier, my bishop, my everything because he is the one that gave the vision so he'll bring the provision in your life. So what he's asking, you don't have a faith problem, you have an action problem. What do you mean, Pastor? You have an action problem. You, your feet is stuck like clay in the mire of clay, and you've been praying for the same thing for 20 years. And the people around you tired of praying for what you've been praying for. You are stuck. In one gear. I remember my uncle is here. He's, um, Jasper was, he's here. I remember when he was teaching me how to drive a standard shift car that, um, you know, he was, I remember driving, he was trying to teach me how you put the foot on the brakes and the, um, the, the gas pedal and shift at the wrong time and things of that nature. And so, you know, when you first learn and you, you kind of hear that, and he's like, when you hear that noise that's letting you know that you have to put your foot on the brakes and shift gear to the next gear and, and go from one gear. And so once I began to uh, learn and get that down when he was teaching me um, that how to drive the standard shift car and, and to do that, then I understood that that, that I was going from one place, one gear, to the next gear. Some of you are still in first gear, and you're supposed to be in third gear. You're still stuck in the first gear of your life, your marriage, your ministry, and your friends. That mean you no good. And you're stuck there, and you hear the sound. Pastor, what is the sound? But you still go back because you stuck in first gear. And the moment that you pick up your life and move to the next gear, 
God will cause peace with you and all of your enemies. I don't know this, not even in my notes, but I don't know who I came to preach to today. But you are stuck in a gear that God said it's time to shift gears. Look at your neighbor and say, shift. Shift from your poverty, shift from your sickness, shift from your pity party, shift from your laziness, shift from your procrastination, shift from every enemy in your life. You got to shift gears because God said that he is bringing you to another dimension and you got to leave all the turtles behind and all the naysayers because you're eating on another level. <laughs> you're eating on the never level. See, turtles eat on the grass level, but giraffes have long necks and eat at the top of level. And in order for the giraffe, he has a 25-pound heart, and so his heart is so strong because of the neck and the head to eat at the top. It's designed to eat at the top of the tree. And so some of us are on giraffe's potential level, but we're causing our necks to come down and eat at the bottom of the tree. Can you imagine a tall, long giraffe trying to eat at the bottom of the tree? Well, some of you are like giraffes, and God is trying to get you there, but you're eating at the bottom of the tree. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I'm eating at the bottom of the tree that people saying and they naysayers and all of this saying negative and doctor but I got to eat on another level because my God is more than enough. He's more. He's more. I decree and declare that you will move and your foot will not be stuck, but you will shift into the place that God called you to do. I feel in my spirit that there's some people here today that you're here today. You're like, I don't know my mind, my, my world. I don't know. My business was doing good. My, my church used to be awesome. Uh, I'm just not feeling the way that I'm feeling or, or my job, my boss or this and that. It's time to shift. Because all that is is uh, God is giving you the sound, but we don't want to obey the sound because we're comfortable in what we are in. We're comfortable with the car we're driving. We're comfortable with the house we're living in. We're comfortable, and God's trying to shift you, and you're saying, I'm not happy where I'm at. I don't know what it is, but you're saying, Arr. you have to shift gears in your spirit and to know that God, all standing all over the building, thank you, Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I don't know who I came to, to preach to today, but the Lord said in three words, do it. Three key things to remember. Know who you are, be who you are, and do what God called you to do. You know, I've done a lot of wonderful things in my life. I've been very successful in things and how hosting meetings, meeting budgets, doing all kind of things that I believe God at the very edge. My friends and people, family call me living on the edge <laughs> because I've done things that seem to be impossible. But you know, all of the things that God has allowed me to do, I still don't stop there and I continue to believe him for more. See, the moment that you get complacent in where you are today in your life, your life will get stuck, miserable, and unhappy. 
and you will begin to begin to be sorrowful where you are. But always reach for more. You know, I, learned, I said at the beginning of this year that I am walking into a new normal. I'm walking into a new normal. The new normal is that the things that I used to do, I don't do no more. The people I used to have, I, you know, got new friends. Now, now picture this. You know, I've moved to a brand new city, didn't know nobody. Didn't know anybody in this particular city. And I left friends from when I moved from here. I moved to Atlanta for the youth pastor, senior pastor. Then I built a great nucleus of people and friends and loved ones and things of that nature. And then God moved me again. And I had to be like Abraham. I had to be willing to let go to move forward into a new normal in my life. Sometimes in order to move forward, you got to let go of the past and move into the head that God has for your life and do what God called you to do. Amen. Grab your neighbor's hand. I want to pray with you today before I leave. I want to pray that God do a miraculous thing in your life. You know, I want to pray. There's a, a couple tips that I want to give you. Number one, you know, I, I want to tell you that I, I really don't talk about testimonies no more. I, you know, I don't call it testimonies. I've learned from, I'll give credit where credit my intercessors taught us something um, that understand that the things that happen to us, we sometimes as believers call them testimonies. They're not testimonies. They're daily breads. The things we're calling miracles, they're supposed to happen because we are the children of God. And we, we call them testimonies. Testimonies are for unbelievers. The Bible says in Revelation that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony when we're entering into the kingdom of God. So what, I, what we call testimonies and miracles are really not miracles and testimonies. It's just daily bread. Psalms 23 said, give us our daily bread. This is the way that we're supposed to live. This is the new normal. This is the way that Christ has came, and we're supposed to have it. It ain't just supposed to be an accident or we believe it for a miracle. It's just a daily bread. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you that you would give them the desires of their hearts. I pray, Father, that you would move from vessel to vessel from person to person, and God, that you would give them revelation, knowledge, that you would bring them from one place to the next. I pray, God, that you would shift their lives, oh God, into another dimension, God. Shift them from where they are to where you have called them to be, God. I pray, God, Lord God, that they would hear the call of the shift today, God. Father, you said, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is sent unto the church. And Father, I thank you that you would open up their eyes of understanding, open up their ears to hear. Father God, they'll move and shift into the place that God has called them to be, oh God. Father, I thank you, God, just as the heavens were open when Jesus was being baptized. I pray now that you will open up the heavens in their lives, in their marriage, in their ministries, in their business. And Father, that you will let a thousandfold blessing rest upon them today. I thank you now, Father, that they will move from where they are to where God has called them to be. They would not eat at the bottom of the tree, but they would eat at the top of the tree because, Father, you are the everything, oh God. In you they live and breathe and have they been, oh God. So, Father, I thank you that there was a great release 
of anointing and glory upon their lives today. Holy Spirit, we release you to be refreshed in their lives. We release you, God, to bring them into a greater in their lives. And today, I thank you that they would expect greater in their lives. I thank you that they would receive greater in their lives, that greater works would come upon them today. I bless you and praise you. I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.